Welcome to Thinky Comet, a collection of nuanced conversations about the Black experience. I'm your host, Mia Marie. On this podcast, we explore topics that empower, educate, and illustrate the necessity for honest conversations about being Black, all with the aim of reaching personal liberation and challenging systems of oppression. In this moment of collective transformation, I encourage all Black Americans and our family who were also taken on the journey of the Middle Passage to tap into the power of our ancestry. Growing up in America, we are bombarded with subtle and not-so-subtle messages in school, media, and society at large that our history as Black Americans is something to be ashamed of. Yes, our experience in America has been traumatic, to say the least, but the shame is not ours to carry. In fact, we are a magnificent and magical people whose voice and culture echo all around the world. In this episode, my sister Dr. Natalie Lewis and I unpack how our experiences in West Africa brought us closer to our ancestors and their power. Please enjoy Black Americans. Our birthright is divine. Sister, so I'm so glad. What you doing in the background? Because I can hear that. <laughs> You're not gonna monitor my life, right? So it's gonna go. pick up on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everyone. This is this is a, my episode with my sister, my dear sister Natalie. As you can see, just being uncooperative per usual. So if y'all hear a noise in the background, it's because Natalie is doing something. What are you doing, Natalie? <laughs> living (laughs) enjoying life enjoying life well thank you so much really excited to have my sister dr natalie lewis y'all we got a doctor in the house hello fanfare i wish i had the the applause set up on this because then i would have had a cue to the applause for you um but i wanted before we could jump in natalie how about you introduce yourself tell tell the people who you are um (laughs) My name is, uh, as Mia said, Dr. Natalie Lewis, and I am currently serving as a, um, a principal of a middle school in Denver, Colorado. I've been a school leader now for the past seven years. Um, I also have a PhD in educational leadership and policy studies, and I have a master's degree in Black studies um, from uh, Temple University, which is one of the premier Black Studies programs in the world, and uh, I bring, yeah, like I bring that up because uh, for two reasons. One is because Temple is like the heart of the Afrocentric movement. Um, Dr. Malefe Kete Asante um, is like it was the the founder of our program at Temple, and growing up and like developing as a scholar in that space was super powerful um, from my own transformation and how I started to see the world. And so centering the experiences of Black people throughout the world um, is is important to not only the discipline that I was trained in, but it's also the primary lens with which I view the world. And so um, understanding that, uh, like, I look at the world through a racialized lens and how are people, you know, how are Black people impacted how does race interact and show up? 
uh, is a central part of my um, of, of my identity. Um, it's actually also the heart of my um, my research and my study. So um, my dissertation in particular is centered around the experiences of Black principals and how they use a racialized lens in their leadership. And, um, so I think that's a, a very important dynamic. Um, I'm also the mother of two amazing daughters, um, Nile and Nandi, who are 14 and 11. Yes, thank you, sis, for that introduction. Mm -hmm. So just to let y'all know we have an expert. I'm not just talking out my ass. (laughs) 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 These things are grounded in things, and Natalie will check me if I'm talking crazy. But I think also, so um, I think on your, not I think, but on your education journey really did help to push my thinking in some areas, especially in terms of Pan-Africanism. We came from a very pro-Black family um, from Mississippi. And so we grew up with messages in terms of being proud and of who we are, where we come from, and giving back. But seeing you on your journey in terms of um, just studying this had always been an inspiration for me and also just kind of pushed me to be more rooted in the learnings and the readings of our ancestors and scholars and Black mm-hmm. scholars in this area and not necessarily necessarily dependent on damn the squeaky ass chair <laughs> it's been a day y'all um, <laughs> if y'all hear that squeaking is the chair um but yo this is just gonna be that episode <laughs> but um damn but yeah so just rooted in learning from our black historians, our black scholars, and really, you know, just in that Pan-African experience and the connection of between us. So your your ed- academic journey has definitely helped influence my learning as well in terms of, I mean, I'm not a, a formal scholar, but just in terms of making sure that I'm read and learning, reading the people I need to be reading. But I wanted to definitely have this conversation with you because also you were the first as being the oldest in our family. You know, it's just by virtue of being the oldest. You did a lot of things first. <laughs> so you studied to you studied abroad in Senegal. And I remember that trip in terms of um, how exciting and how amazing it was for you and visiting Gory Island and seeing the slave castles and, you know, thinking at us really thinking about like, where, where did we come from? Where did our ancestors come from? And it really, incur- and I think it inspired Nicole and I to also study abroad. Nicole, our other sister, she studied abroad in Tanzania and I rented us out studying abroad in Ghana. And it was really interesting because during that time in my life, going to college in Chicago, being exposed to different parts of the diaspora, I began in a weird way to struggle with the value of our narrative coming from like coming from as a descendant of slavery in the American South and not that it wasn't like pride pride in it, but I felt like our journey, our heritage as black Americans was not as valued. And I really encountered that in college. And when I studied abroad in Ghana, that's when I was like more rooted in no, this is a beautiful, amazing heritage to have. And visiting the slave castles in Ghana for me was transformational and being like, it is amazing. The people that we come from are pure magic. It is amazing that we endured this and that we were able to overcome it, come to this country and literally create and give birth to so much life, both physically, you know, figuratively in terms of culture, all these things. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? How was your journey in terms of, your acceptance of our heritage or just like how you've viewed our heritage being descendants of slavery coming from Mississippi, one of the hardest places I would say, I mean, it was hard everywhere, but just coming from Mississippi, a very even now difficult place for black people. Um, how did that evolve over time? Yeah, I would say 
Um, I think uh, a pivotal part of my, also of my experience, definitely, I appreciate what you said around our family being very pro, pro-black. You know, our, our family, our parents raised us in a way um, that also centered race. Like, don't forget you're black. Understand what it means Absolutely. to live in this world as a black person. And it was a constant, probably everyday conversation um, growing up. And so centering blackness was really important. And when I went to uh, my undergraduate experience where I was one of 53 black people uh, on campus. Uh, we, I mean, out you know, we could say, yeah, out of, no, out of 2000, black, out of 2000 students, we were 53 and we would say, you know, the girl with the scarf and everybody would know who we were talking about, you know? And so really around just understanding what being black meant and uh, where I went to undergrad uh, was Colorado College, which is, an extremely wealthy and affluent school, like the top 2% as far as economics in the United States, CC is number two for where they send their students. So when you talk about just the level of like wealth and whiteness, um, it definitely had an impact. And so my undergrad math minor is in African um, studies. And so, um, you know, studying and being a, 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 like having a bachelor's degree in international political economy, everything I studied was about Africa. Um, like every center, I would find something about black people. And at the time, you know, Africa was being uh, particularly ravaged by AIDS at the time. And so when we looked at, um, you know, international funding and how the IA and the world, the IMF and the World Bank and the United States is the influence that it had on funding and what was funded and what wasn't funded. Um, it made me definitely want to learn more about that experience. And being one of 53 meant that all of us were probably more um, collectively linked than probably what um, they wanted to be. And by they, I mean, not everybody had grew up in a centered black experience and prioritized being black. And I learned yes. what that meant in college. Yeah. Um, like, oh, not everybody cares about this in the same way. Not everybody, you know, believes in this in this way. And um you know, my, uh, the first class I had, CC is, has a block schedule. And so the first class I ever had at CC, we were, it was about like Western civilization. And the professor asked a question and said, why did, um, why do you believe that Europeans started enslaving people? And this white boy who I went to school with, he, and so it made the tension in the room rise. Like it, you could feel it. And I was, of course, the only black student and black person in the room. And everybody, all eyes were on me and my heart is like rushing. Like, oh my goodness, what, are, what is going to happen? And, and I'm 18 years old. Like, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm, I've always been able to speak, but I was particularly concerned about how I was going to be received in the way that I spoke because of being in the way, being the only black person in uh, most of my schooling. And um, this white boy raised his hand and he looked dead in my eye and he said, because they were self-motivated tractors. Mm. And for me, that like shaped everything that I did. It still shapes everything that I did. Like, oh, if this, if this is what it means to be black, let me tell you, we're going to be the best exhibit black, black. <laughs> you know? So it meant that I was going to get, I was going to read all of the information. Like I'm not flipping on reading information because I'm going to come in here and be able to hammer you in class. Here. So I bring and I'm going to speak the most articulate way, you know, in the most articulate way possible. All those different things so that you're not going to counter, you're, you're not going to miss this part. And I bring that up because when I went to Senegal and having, um, and, you know, minoring in, in African studies, 
it was important to me to like learn as much as possible so then I could come back and share with everyone else. Like this was the first time I was the first person in our family to study, um, to travel and study abroad. And so all of the things that I gathered through like observation and learning, I knew that, that I was going to come back and share it with people. And so I wanted to not miss a beat in that space. Um, and so when I went to um, to Senegal, it was so much of a, an exploration. Like our family is from the South. And it's some, one of the things that I think is such a, a proud uh, dynamic, particularly for African-American culture, because it's like the heart. It represents that like the, for me, it represents like the heart of our, and the purest form of our culture. Like there are so many Black things that happen in the South. That as we move, like we're from Denver, so we grow, we go to the West, we go to um, the East. There's just different dynamics that are not as, you know, there's like, oh, that is Black. And so there were things that when I went to Senegal that I saw that I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, growing, growing up, our great-grandmother used to keep bottles. Uh, there were several trees around the house that had bottles, right? And so when I went to Senegal and I started to understand, I'm like, you know, they do that also in the Carolinas. And it's you catch dreams, you catch like spirits, all these different things. I'm like, oh my yeah. goodness, this is the reason why, you know, walk growing up and my great grandparents, um, great grandfather and our grandfather, they always had sticks in their mouth. And so when I went to Senegal and I seen people walking around with sticks in their mouth and they're like, oh, that's actually also about like hygiene and dental practices. And that's why their teeth are so strong. I'm like, what? You know, so it was like all this exploration around oh, this is why we do what we do. And then in Senegal in particular, um, you know, I was there to study Wolof, which is the like lingua franca, uh, the secondary language spoken, or everyone in the country speaks it, speaks it, but the official language is French. And so I was there studying and there were places, you know, I'm going to Senegal again as the only black person in college with the group that I'm in. And I'm the only, and I'm in Senegal with all these white people. Girl, so that is studying went, abroad in Africa. Side, <laughs> side note. <And> so, <laughs> that is probably one of the, and, girl, ugh, yeah. it's an experience in and, and of itself. <laughs> it is. It's its own experience. And so one of the things that I did in response to going around and traveling with white people is that when they would speak English to me, I would not talk. <laughs> I'm, nope, I'm, I'm with you. With <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I don't want to be associated with this is who I, because it's more than that too, right? And it's my own exploration. And so... Um, you know, my professor who took us, he's a Senegalese man. And, you know, by the time I left, he was just like, Natalie, you look like you are, um, you know, from the Fulani people. And I'm like, what? You know, again, this is probably, I spent, you know, six weeks there. So this is in the first week. And I'm like, oh, you know, okay. And then by the end of the trip, I could recognize the people that he said I look like, right? Mm -hmm. And then we would go to places and they would look at me and start speaking in, uh, you know, Fulani thinking that I was. And I, you couldn't tell me that I wasn't. I'm absolutely convinced that I still am. And so I think that that was an important thing. Like, oh, wow, I now can understand that. Like when continental African people come here and they see us and they're like, oh, you're from here, you're from here, because I could then see that connection. And I thought that that was really important. And then I would say the other pivotal experience for me um, moving from or from the Senegal experience was going to Gory Island. And um, from the moment there was actually there was another black woman, my girlfriend, who was there with us. And I mean, we were on the ship and it felt like riding on the ship to 
um, gory out of it was this already this like own emotional experience or we're like super emotional and crying. Yeah. And when we got there, there was a whole like set of people who, there's actually a group of Rastafarians who live on Gory Island. And um, when we got there, they said to us, like we're crying and it was just so emotional and this was like a huge divide between the white people because they didn't know what to do because we've lost our minds and are so emotional. And um, the Rastafarian, uh, you know, brothers who saw us are like, welcome home, brother and sister. This time for me to come home. And it just like, oh, goodness, so, so emotional Yeah. Um, as it related to that. And then um, the museum curator, uh, as we're going through the tours, you know, going into uh, an enslaved castle is, terrible it's a horrible experience right you learn a lot and as a descendant of enslaved people it's very emotional at least it was for me I don't know you know other people there was a black man who was also there from Arizona and the three of us just sat in a corner hugging and you know holding hands and holding each other as we went through the experience so um but the curator just started like pointing out different points and the the last um the last part that he went through um that we went through in the tour was to the door of no return and, you know, he just talked about what the door of no return meant. And here we were returning to where we, it was believed that we would never come back. And we were standing in that. And he called us out for that. Like, no, you actually did return. They didn't win, right, was what he said. And he said, um, I want you to know that they did not, do not ever be convinced that they took the weakest people. They took the strongest. And you, and he was like, are the best athletes, who are the best athletes in the world? And he was, you know, and he, he started talking about it. He was like, they're African-Americans. He was like, if you look at the experience of who is powerful and who's doing it, like, don't be confused. They took the most powerful African-Americans represented. And he spoke that as a Senegalese man to three African-Americans who are part of this tour. And so that has just been a lasting thing because it was something that I think that when we talk about enslavement, we don't talk about that legacy of like, yeah. no, this wasn't just a, an arbitrary story of like who survived and who was taken right it couldn't have been when you think about and you yeah. hear what <laughs> the experience and you actually see what those dungeons I don't know about you but just we, we went to two different ones in Ghana and you mm. see the fact that people were living in like one to two feet of feces blood urine yeah. you know and exactly. and you still and that's just at the start of the journey and then they put you yeah. on a ship and it continues so to survive yeah. that like yes a lot of people died but you think about I mean, a lot of folks like to harp on the survival of the fittest, but it's real, you know, just in terms of just just the grit and the tap into spirit and God, you know, that's Yeah, and that's what I, I mean, like, that's, you know, I'm not, I ain't going to enter into, no Darwin survival. Yeah, no, but I, yeah, no, for sure. No, but I'm saying, like, the reason why I'm saying that is, like, no, it is about, there is something about who we are as Black people continually and African-Americans around, like, how we have continued to endure in spite of. Yeah. So like, I think that that's a, you know, and I just think that that's a really important thing. And, you know, um, to talk about of like, Oh, wow. That's a powerful, that's a powerful frame that is always, it was a lasting and it transformed me in that moment. Like, wow, this is who you do. Like, wow, we, we come from this, Um, you know, and, directly come from it and you know again when I talk about you know particularly um us and our family we went to Mississippi like went to I grew up going to Mississippi every summer and the isms 
the black folks isms are cultural isms that are so deeply ingrained to our like southern african-american experience and i would say to agree with you like coming from mississippi which is like the dirty dirty in all the ways yeah. <laughs> right? the dirty like, dirty <laughs> the sip but in all yeah like in all of the ways around what this is meant from like the treatment of black people mm-hmm. to the continued treatment of black people is serious like that's and, and have family and you know and just and just listening to the the legacy of that and just being like wow there's so much of our direct heritage and lineage that is worth celebrating Absolutely. and i think that um, before before going to Senegal and, and after going to Senegal, I was able to make the connections like, oh, wow, our culture is even that much more powerful because it blends both our experience here as well as there's so many like African components um, of our history and our story that are deeply embedded that we don't know of why we do it. And Senegal was like, oh, that's why. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. You know, and that was a, that was an important connection to see. I think sometimes, you know, we talk, uh, particularly as African Americans, around like to generalize. We come from kings and queens, yeah, because we want to, right? But we don't know exactly what that. And no doubt, I still believe we do, but we can't track that all the way through. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I think that's an important element. Yeah, and it's so, and you know, I feel you, and I, I think from my experience from Ghana, I really walked away and visiting. So we went to the one on Cape Coast, the bigger one. I'm blanking mm. on the name. They went to Elamina, the Portuguese slave castle that has had less, um, less done to it, restoration done to mm. it. And I had a horrible experience with the people I went to. So I was also like, um, similarly in a predominantly white group. I think there was like three or four of the black folks on the trip out of like mm. 30 people. And on the way to the slave castles, there were like two girls asking if they could skip it and go to the beach instead that they, they were on vacation and they didn't want to do it. And so (laughs) there was that. And then in the Elamina slave castle, there's a room, there was a dungeon that they used to put slaves that misbehaved and, you know, were trying to rebel and they would lock it and they wouldn't let folks, they wouldn't let folks open. They said until the last person died and you go in there and there's scratch marks all over the walls and all of the white folks on the trip denied that it was authentic, denied that it was real and said that they had put it there. So I was struggling on my trip was different in that I was struggling literally with people trying to take away the power and truth from my story. You know what I mean? Which I think goes, and I, I was like, I was livid. So I definitely came from Ghana feeling like our story one is like that we are kept away from this power. We are kept away from the horrors that did occur from from us fully, right? Because I think it it, it you know as twofold. There's part of it that's supposed to like maintain the innocence of whiteness, and also I think it's to main to hide the strength and the power and magic of our people, right? Because there's just no way that you can see it. And hear about what the Middle Passage was like. And then hear that we came here and created cultures and networks of systems of people that were able to, you know, create this underground railroad and these like movements that literally gave rights and liberated other groups of people. You know what I mean? Like if we were able to pull all of that together, I think black Americans in particular would feel so much more 
pride and excitement about who we are. And we would be more coalesced, I would say, or just more unified in our movements and how we're trying to get things and achieve, get things done. Um, I don't know about you, but also just growing up in Denver. And even now people are always like, I don't want to see another slave movie. I don't want to do this. And like, I just feel like there's this denial to fully learn and explore history. Like, sure. Yes, there is like, you know, there, there, there is also a reason that we always do harp on the few stories that we do within Black History and on Black History Month, and that is also problematic. And also, a lot of us have not even done the full exploration of that heritage and that history. And why are you so ashamed of it? And why wouldn't you want to learn yeah. about it? And why wouldn't you want to take that to do better for yourself now instead of this, like, complete denial and the shift to this, like, superficial... Um, ways of just like establishing, you know, wealth and liberation. So that's, that's kind of my thoughts. <laughs> Any reactions <Yeah>. there? <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. A lot of reactions. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, I, I think, you know, we talked, the story of why I believe enslavement in particular is so hard for black people to talk about is because it's so deeply tied to race. Yeah. And, um, the dynamic around rape is like we are the epitome of how you blame the victim mm. and Hello here. you train the right you train the victim to be ashamed right because white people don't have the same kind of shame because there's not an acknowledgement of the rape that happened and yeah. that rape was institutionalized through enslavement right i don't even say slavery i don't yeah. call people slaves because it's not a natural condition yeah. it was forced upon us and so, like, I think that even the ways in which we talk about it are important. We were not slaves. We were enslaved, mm -hmm. right? We were forced to be, to not be able to learn, to be able to read and write. Our music and, and our drum was like, the you know, language was stolen from us. And so we're such bad people. And I mean, phenomenal is that. <laughs> we then take drums and music and create and continue to to have language right and so i think that that like the elements of the the traumas that have been associated are so deeply ingrained with us that it makes it very difficult to even engage in this part of the conversation and i would say that over 95 percent of what's written about us is written by not us mm. and so when we talk about like the, the like the control of knowledge and be it in like actual like formal studies, but in knowledge and just the under like a, a story of experience, be it music, TV, movies, all of those things matter. And so if this is the only way we learn who we are is through this part, then there is, and it's, it's deeply associated with pain, there is a tension there. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's a part of that our ancestors would not speak about it for many generations. And like enslavement was one part of the story of legalized rape, but Jim Crow, but reconstruction, but, uh, you know, um, all of those things were the like crippling of black people being able to tell the their own drugs. Story. Yeah. Like it morphed right. the, the school to prison pipeline or yeah. the prison industrial but, complex, all of yeah. it. Yes. It's all connected. And But what I'm saying, and I think is a essential about like unpacking that is that they all have a continued repeated cycle of of trauma. It's repeated cycle of trauma and of secret. It's your fault. It's a shaming. Mm -hmm. We've been shamed from that. And to tell our own story, like it's our fault. We've been told and they've done enough damn bell curves, enough uh, eugenics. 
all these things that tell us we are inferior. And that ain't for our part. That's for them to convince themselves, right? And then there's parts of like the convincing that we've also embodied because it's, it's, it's I mean, you got the story of abuse. Yeah, for sure. It's like and the so Stockholm just, syndrome. <laughs> yeah. And just like around what it really means to be a victim. And a, a victim is part of our story. But if there's not a glimpse or there's not even, you know, sometimes you just need someone or something to spark your mind, your spirit into saying, oh, wow, you're more. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is so important. And I go back to this, what the, the, um, the curator said from the museum at Glory Island around, do not be mistaken in who you are. And so like when you start to think about the African-American experience and, not, and the African-American experience and its influence into the rest of the world, that's the other part of this is like, oh, wait a minute. We're talking about the ways in which African-Americans influence the world. Yes. <laughs> yes. And our culture and is still part. literally commodified it's and still, chipped all right? around the world. And, <laughs> and, and, and so there is a part of it that like, we are, you know, I'm in Senegal, I was in Senegal and walking down the street with my brother, that's my host family. He will always be my brother, but we're walking down the street. And once I started, you know, speaking English and people, you know, that we were around heard me speaking English, they realized that I was uh, you know, black American. And um, they, I just remember a little boy came up to me and started rapping Biggie, heavy, Harlem shaking, uh, uh, right in the car, right? Because he understood what I represented. But the fact that he could like start rapping, he drew in a Harlem shake, is talking about the influence of my direct culture. And I think that that's like, you know, when we talk about this, of yeah, we're black, but the ethnicity of African-Americans or Black American, is, it, is, it, is its own unique thing that we need to be able to explore. And give right? honor to, yes, and it's okay. Yeah. And, like, there's so much space for us to give honor and name that. And, you know, you know, when I came back from Ghana, that's exactly what I switched, not switched, but I really was, like, deep on. I think before I was, like, very, like, Pan-African. And when I came back, not that I still don't think Pan-Africanism is so incredibly important for our collective liberation, but I did, to that point, come home saying, we are Black Americans, y'all. This is a whole different experience that we need to own, we need to name, and we, like, there is power in it, right? And that we all have unique challenges and differences. And I do know that you have a hard stop. So I'm just curious because I want to, I really want to get in the habit of, as you know, leaving folks with next steps. How can we just build on what we're talking here? How can we really, as black Americans, what are your thoughts in terms of us really embodying this unique, distinct experience and how can this impact how we're building movements and, you know, ultimately raising children that are proud of who they are. I think, I mean, I think when I think about next steps, there, there are a couple of things. One is um, just start to learn, right? And do, and learning meaning, I don't think you necessarily, you can go read a book, but also just start to learn your own history. I learned so much about being Black folks, about what it meant to be Black by sitting at the feet of my grandparents mm-hmm. and listening to their story. And like storytelling is something that I've really embodied and in the past five years, I've started to say, oh, wow, I know how to tell a story. And I know it because storytelling is important to my community. Storytelling meant that when I was sitting listening to grown folks talk, I learned about who we were as a culture. And so I would say that like we, we tend to think of learning as having to be something outside of 
mm-hmm. our immediate surroundings. And it doesn't have to be that. I think listening to the stories and the ways that we, like the phrases, there's a certain, like, there's a pace to how we tell stories. There's a way in which we interject, right? Mm-hmm. The different language that we use. Uh, what? Hello? Inflection, okay. the excitement. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. And like building. Those are cultural things that are important and important and represent African-American culture. Mm-hmm. And so I think that like when we think about our, you could do it from, you know, by listening and learning. I think you can also do it through like learning about your region, wherever you're in in the world or where in this country and where you grew up in. There's a story to also how you got there and what that means. You know, as a black person in Denver, I have been really interested in, in, in learning more around what's the story of the black folks that moved west. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's yeah. a it's a unique story and it's a different one that's often lost because we talk about the you know, the 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 great migration to both the the northern cities as well as to the Midwest. And so there's another part of the story. So it's like, okay, so take whatever it is that is getting you fired up. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't know about this. And keep diving and leaning more into that. Because our, and you know, we always talk, when we talk about ethnic group, we mistakenly call, you know, we will say tribe. But there's ethnic groups that understand and know their history. And African-American, in my belief, is an ethnic group that we need to further explore and understand what it means to us. Yeah. And I like what you said in terms of especially, I mean, I'm gonna throw in our aunts and uncles, too, because, you know, Aunt Dorothy was the great storyteller in our family. It's like honor. You know, it doesn't have to be this formal education piece. Right. It really is learning about what was the experience of your of your family? How did they get to where they are? Because that stuff was not documented intentionally. You know what I mean? Like our history are the movement of our people was a type of erasure from acknowledging uh, by white folks for their ownership of the problem, their ownership, their involvement, um, and also just in terms of thinking about what reparations and accountability would look like years yeah. down the road, right? So right now, given that those things weren't codified, they weren't written down, there were haphazard records. I mean, our even our grandfather, his birth certificate was wrong, right? Like that was 90 yeah. years ago. They still were just haphazardly, you know, attending to the needs of black folks. We we have to, and to your point, uncover and really capture all, what is what is happening. And it's just so sad. This this past year, we've lost so many living giants among us, so many black folks that really did help to push the advancement of us. Like Cicely Tyson passed yeah. away. Um, the the comedian just passed away this week. I'm sorry, my name is I'm blanking on the names, but. Yeah, Paul, Paul Mooney. And so it's like, it's so important because the, those those gems are also in our families. They're not just celebrities, right? Yeah. And, and you know, what I, yeah, capture exactly. those that's gems in your families yeah, as like, well. Yeah, but I think we often look out, again, we all are constantly trained and probably because of Western culture, uh, and not probably, absolutely because of Western culture, to look outside of ourselves. Like Cicely Tyson and Paul Mooney were tremendous for our culture and for our world. And I know my granny was tremendous for you. our culture and for our world. And so I think that like speaking and just thinking about like, who is it? You know, I walk by people. I love seeing particularly older black people. You walk by, they tell you so much stuff just in the way they say stuff, right? Girl, like, girl, <laughs> pick your face up, honey. What you frowning about? You know, like just in different things they tell us. And if we listen and we put ourselves in a, in a, in a space in which we can listen and we can repeat, there's so much that's happening and so much learning that we can get. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, sister. That was great.
Thank you for listening to the Inky Comet. If you are enjoying the podcast, subscribe and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at the Inky Comet to continue the conversation. Also, be sure to check out the Inky Comet soundtrack on Spotify. Until next time.